This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 92. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. I'm very excited for this episode because we are finally starting the Scott Snyder run of Justice League, beginning with Justice League No Justice Number One, the four-part weekly miniseries that leads into Scott Snyder's run on the ongoing Justice League. And we'll also be talking about the penultimate episode, or excuse me, penultimate issue of New Superman and the Justice League of China with issue 23 of that series. And both of these issues came out May 9th of 2018. But before we get to all that, I have, as always, some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, a lot has been made by many a Superman fan about Superman being the ultimate immigrant story. Uh, Someone comes to America from somewhere else and is embraced by the people at large and has an incredible success story. And I think there's a lot to that. Um, the, uh, the, The two gentlemen who created Superman were both uh, children of Jewish immigrants um, and in the 1930s, when a lot of people were fleeing, uh, a lot of people of, of, uh, of followed the Jewish religion were, were fleeing Europe because of the rise of fascism over there and were coming to the U.S. Um, and many of which were treated very poorly. Um, so it is it, it feels right in in some degree to to paint Superman into that picture of being the immigrant story. And of course, when, when Byrne would come along, he would find a way to make Superman a natural born American citizen by having him technically be born on earth when he was birthed by his birthing matrix. Um, That's not my favorite (laughs) aspect of the Superman origin. And I, I like it better when he's, like, found as a baby. Um, but I think it could also be safely said that a lot of Superman's success of being embraced by the public, both in terms of comic book reading audiences, in terms of general pop iconography, and by the people by the the general population within the the universe of DC Comics probably has a lot to do with him looking like a white guy. Um and I mean because but let's let's put a pin in that and and come back. Because again, Superman was created in the nineteen thirties 
And at that time, there, there was a lot of discrimination against people from anywhere else that came to the U.S. You know, if, if, if you've ever read stories about how Irish immigrants were discriminated against and things like that. And, you know, people of Eastern European descent coming to the U.S. and being discriminated against. But I think it's also very safe to say that people who aren't white that came to the U.S. either voluntarily or involuntarily in the 1800s or early 1900s or what have you were treated much worse. Um, And, you know, to highlight that, Think about how um, characters like Calvin Ellis have been received, not by the larger Superman population of Superman fandom, but by that small and toxic corner that the rest of us don't, uh, you know, we don't consider to be Superman fans. But, you know, you're going to have those people, oh, that's, you know, why can't, why do you have to make, a, a minority character, Superman, why can't you come up with a new character who's, you know, just like Superman? Okay, how about Icon, um, the, the Milestone character? And, you know, think about how popular is Icon compared to Superman? How popular is Steel compared to Superman? And I say this, in, I, I say this to be um, unflattering, to those people who don't embrace these characters simply because they are people of, of, of a different racial uh, background, which is you know, deeply, deeply unfortunate. So, yeah, in some ways, Superman is, is a good immigrant story. But the, the parallel as far as how American culture has embraced immigrants in modern society, largely based where they come from, is it, it does kind of fall apart in that respect. Not that there's not validity in the immigrant metaphor, but it's not the perfect metaphor. Um, you know, because you know, think about how people who come to this country from Pakistan or from different countries in Africa or specifically south of the U.S. border are treated as opposed to people who immigrate to America from Canada or from a northern European country, for example. Um, The United States has a a less than stellar history of embracing uh, people of color who come to this country. And that is what I want to talk about in the broader uh, scope of today's uh, fortress topic. And it's a, it's a specific story in the news um, about how the state of Texas is choosing to handle what they call the migrant problem. And I bring this up because this story is not getting a lot of circulation among mainstream media on television. Uh, one thing my wife and I do every night before we go to bed, after our daughter goes upstairs to sleep, we, um, we go to the, the CNN YouTube channel and we go to the MSNBC YouTube channel. And you know, we, we scroll through the news of the day and watch it. And I've yet to see 
coverage of this story. I've, I've read a lot about it. I've, I've uh, listened to some uh, independent news podcasts that have talked about it. But what's happening is that Texas has seized control of the U.S. government's border with Mexico. And um, they have sent the Texas National Guard out to control that border. And you may have heard the story about how three migrants drowned uh, trying to get across the border. But what is getting less circulation is how Department of Homeland Security, which I have not great feelings of, uh, but in this case, were in the right. They tried to go help these migrants who appeared to be drowning, and the Texas National Guard troopers would not let them through. They said, we have taken control of this section of federally controlled land and will not let you through. And, you know, the, 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 the Texas government was asked about it and they said, oh, well, the, they weren't really in trouble. You know, those migrants didn't really need help. And then when it was, you know, very obviously came out that these people needed help and they died. It's like, oh, well, they needed help and died before those DHS uh, uh, agents ever showed up. And they've, they've been very clearly obfuscating. And um, when I heard about this, I was incensed um, because that really sounds like an act of sedition where a state is trying to take control of a, the federal entity's uh, property and responsibility. And the next day, I read that the White House had sent them a cease and desist order and you know said if, if you don't there will be consequences and the the texas governor responded with we don't recognize your authority in this matter now <laughs> what's probably going to happen unfortunately is that the the uh, doj is probably just going to sue the government of texas over this um what could happen uh, what I think should happen, what probably won't, is that Biden can take federal control of the Texas National Guard and order them to stand down. And if they refuse to do so, then they can come up on military code of justice charges. But again, I don't think this will happen. Now, I, I bring this up, like I said, because this story is not getting enough traction, in my opinion. And I think it's the kind of thing that people should know about. Um this really feels like the latest thing that Texas has done where it feels like it is not beholden to the government that it is a part of. And even under the Trump administration, their you know, democratically held states were not going, we refuse to recognize the authority of the federal government. Yes, they were doing workarounds to horrible policies, but they, they didn't refuse to follow uh, federal mandates altogether. And this feels like really above and beyond. And I have theories about what's going to happen in the future. I'm not going to share them because I don't want to sound like, a, like, and get, like an alarmist. 
which they, they would if I were to share my thoughts. But um, this is the kind of thing that people need to know about. What can you and I do about this? Nothing. You know, obviously, if you're if you're a citizen of Texas and uh, are a resident of Texas and, you know, you know what I always say when you when it comes time to vote, you know, do your responsibility. But this is the kind of thing that needs justice and justice can't happen without the truth. And that's, you know, the, the tenets of truth, justice and hope is that hope requires justice and justice requires truth. And so I just feel like it's important for me to share this. Uh, people need to know about it. People need to be aware of what's going on. Um, because this, this is the kind of thing that if it happens in the dark, it's going to keep happening until something even worse happens and it's too late to do anything about it at all. But those are all my thoughts on this topic. So let's go talk about some Superman comics. Okay, up first, we have Justice League No Justice number one. This is written not only by Scott Snyder, but also by James Tinian and Joshua Williamson. I know that Tinian will be doing part of the writing duties during the ongoing Justice League series. I think he takes over about halfway through so that Snyder can go work on Death Metal. I don't remember uh, any Williamson stories, but maybe I just overlooked it. Um, I don't know if I've talked about Williamson on this show or not before. Um, the two main things I know him from are from Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths and the current ongoing eponymous Superman title. I really like the eponymous Superman. Um, I did not love Dark Crisis. Um, but I do understand that Williamson is going to be one of the writers, including Jason Aaron, with the upcoming uh, Superman-centric crossover event, uh, which I think is called Planet Brainiac or something like that. I'm excited for that. Uh, this is the first Superman-centric crossover we've had in a really long time. I really like Brainiac as a bad guy. Um, as, a, <laughs> as, a, as a bad guy, yeah, as, as a... As, I just enjoy Superman. Excuse me. I can't talk. I really enjoy Brainiac as a Superman villain. Uh, <laughs> Francis Manipool does the art with Hi-Fi doing the colors. Uh, and World Design does the letters. And the cover is also by Francis Manipool. Man, I am, I am a couple minutes into <laughs> the main comic book coverage and already my ability to talk is failing me today. So the cover, as all of them are in this miniseries, is a wraparound. Um, it has Superman front and center with Starfire, Martian Manhunter, Sinistro, and Starro all behind him. Um, and I didn't realize it at first because I thought that there was supposed to be some kind of lighting that was tinting their costumes, but no, they're all wearing different costumes. They all have kind of a purplish pink uh, hue to them. Even Superman's boots are different. Like they come up past his knees 
He does have the trunks, but they are just a slightly different shade of purpley pink. Um, it looks a lot like the, it's got a very reborn era kind of belt. I really like Starfire's costume because it doesn't look like a battle bikini, but it has a pattern over the top of it that is kind of reminiscent of her original like battle bikini top. And then like Starro is just there and big and doing his thing. And then on the back page where like Superman's cape and Martian Manhunter's cape and a couple of um, Starro's tentacles spills out, we have the, if you didn't know what it is, it would just like this, this, it would looks like a big crack in space, but it's what we will find out is the face of one of the Omega Titans. And it has a, a header on the top of the back cover that says, with the source ball shattered, death arrives. And I've mentioned before, when we talked about the last issue of Metal, I did not realize when I first read it that the source wall had been broken at the climax of that story because it essentially happens off panel or it, it happens in a, it's referenced in a very small panel amongst a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on. And, you know, that is part of the reason I didn't realize that it happened. The other part is, as I mentioned, by the time we got, I got to the last issue of Metal, even the first time I read it, I was just ready to be done. I was like, I'm just going to skim through this and look at the cool pictures. And I'm, I'm pretty much kind of don't care what happens at this point. I'm just ready to be finished. But... Uh, when we open this book, we see a whole bunch of Green Lanterns gathering on the edge of the universe. We have uh, John Stewart, Hal Jordan, uh, Simon Baz, Arissa, um, a whole bunch of people whose names I don't know, and Kyle Rayner. Yay! This is probably the first time that Kyle has been included in a Justice League book since... 2004 maybe Ugh, man that that's rough is I, I would say since identity crisis which was yeah 2004 oof um but they are gathered oh and and guy gardener's there waiting for him and they are there because they are trying to hold back and seal the breach in the source wall. And we have this amazing double page splash of the source wall with all these giant faces stuck to it. And some of them are scowling and some of them are screaming. And there's this huge hole in the middle of the source wall. And it's just been, it's, it's not only cracked down the center, it's also cracked sideways. Um, and it gives it gives the impression that the wall just goes on and on and on forever. And Guy is saying, you and your friends on the Justice League broke the damn universe. The old rule book, it just went up in smoke. This is what we needed at the end of Metal. We needed something oversized and epic to really highlight how monumentous the breaking of the source wall is because it is such a huge both in terms of physical scale within the universe 
but in terms of the the elements that compose this fictional interwoven story is and that's it's great i i i love you know i i said it last uh episode i said it when we talked about trinity uh i've said it whenever manipul has done any kind of special I, I just love his artwork i think it's just fantastic now we go from there to earth where we have four different teams being attacked by these mechanical tentacles and watching it all is amanda waller and her crew that you know oversee the task force x and on the the page is broken down into one, two, three, four, five, six, eighteen panels. And the way it's done is the the top row, it's four panels of the suicide suicide squad being attacked. The middle row is three panels of the Titans, like the adult Titans, uh, Nightwing, Donna Troy, Arsenal um wally west and omen being attacked and the bottom row is three panels of the teen titans uh, including damian wayne wallace west beast boy raven and their mentor starfire being attacked and then between all these panels is scenes of waller and her her staff and this huge monitor board and I've talked about one of the reasons I like Manipul so much is his use of layout. And this is just fantastic layout. It, it gives you one picture that's being overlaid by nine other pictures. And it, it's just phenomenal. It's a double page splash as well. Then we go from there to yet another. Okay, I just realized this whole book is, let's see, one, I'm going to, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, ten, ten double page splashes. And so um, the app lists this as 25 pages. So really uh, it comes out to more like 35, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, but we go from there to uh, what I'm assuming is Metropolis. And we see that those mechanical tentacles belong to Brainiac's headship. We have Brainiac himself standing on top of his headship as those tentacles attack the Justice League, comprised of Cyborg, Aquaman, Barry Allen, Wonder Woman, and Batman. And Brainiac is, he's got on the suit that was introduced during the Brainiac story arc of the Jeff Johns run of, um, of Action Comics in the late 2000s. And it was established back then that that was like Brainiac Prime. That every version of Brainiac we've seen before that was kind of a drone, like the Milton Fine Brainiac, the, the human telepath, telekinetic, who was quote-unquote possessed by the consciousness of Vril Dox. 
and that consciousness was a was a construct of Brainiac Prime. The the Bronze Age robot uh, skull looking Brainiac who kind of looks like a souped up Terminator was a drone of Brainiac Prime. The the green skinned Silver Age Brainiac was a drone of Brainiac Prime. I don't know how all the new fifty two stuff fits into that the the brainiac from um from the grant morrison run on action comics and then this huge like brainiac god being thing from convergence that still doesn't make any sense to me i don't know how that fits into it or even if that's considered continuity at all but this is brainiac prime with his black suit with the silver plating and, you know, the three glowing dots in his head and then the gl pink glowing dots all over his suit. And Brainiac is standing there imperiously with his hands behind his back saying, you think so much of yourselves, but Brainiac sees what you are. Hear me when I say that you are not prepared for what you have unleashed. Then Superman flies in from out of nowhere, punches Brainiac and says, I won't let you take this world. He and Flash begin... Um, Bring the other Justice League members from the tentacles. Superman says, do you realize how many would-be invaders have tried to take Metropolis? How many protocols we have for evacuations at the slightest end of danger? These buildings surrounding us, they're empty. You realize what that means, right? I don't have to hold back. And then he punches Brainiac through a building, causing massive property damage. But, you know, it's a comic book. What are you going to do? And then we get a very brief example of the banter that uh, Scott Snyder is going to do so well in this, uh, in his coming Justice League run. And I know I was very critical by we got by the time we got halfway through Metal, and I'm sure I'm going to be the same way once I get to Death Metal, which is like I said, I'm just probably going to skim it unless until we get to a part that I particularly like. And there are parts of it I do like. Um, but he does banter really well. And so, as Batman gets free, he says, Flash, fast, free the rest of them. And Flash says, fast is the only gear I've got. And Wonder Woman says, really, Barry? And we're going to get a lot of that. We're just It's not super witty, but it's the kind of stuff that friends say to each other when they're working together, or co-workers who get along, how they, how they talk to each other. And uh, Superman is grappling with Brainiac, and... Uh, Superman says, look, my friend's already dismantling your ship. At which point, Brainiac extends these like thin glowing tentacles out of his wrist that wrap around Superman's arm and plug into his head and says, you delude yourself, Kal-El. Uh, my favorite version of Brainiac is still the one from the animated series. I cannot do that voice, but I'm going to do my best um, kind of not even imitation of it but just my own version of it and he says allow me to illuminate your adopted world has many champions i cannot deny the potential of their power but you waste it in comfortable performances uh, excuse me comfortable formations and then we have these series we have these montages um as brainiac goes on to say bonded by fragile emotions you have fallen short of your conceivable might i require more from you the universe requires more each of Earth's mightiest teams could be beaten with a mathematical formula. This is no hypothesis. I have just done so. Titans, 
Teen Titans, your government suicide squad, one by one, your people fell by my hand. And then in these montages, now the suicide squad one is fine. It's just, it looks like another Brainiac headship has crashed through and it's looming over the fallen members of the suicide squad. However, the adult Titans have been taken down but by what look like analogs of the Bronze Age robot Brainiac. And, you know, we saw those during the Brainiac saga in the Jeff Johns run. So that's not anything new. However, the Teen Titans were taken down by what looks like animated series Brainiac and purple and green skull ships that look like the skull ship that was used by 90s Brainiac. And that is really, really cool. And what adds a level of coolness to it is that the the purple and green skull ships are rendered in such a way that they look like kind of uh, computer-generated contract, constructs that are being superimposed over reality. I really like that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Brainiac 13. So this implies that even the Brainiac from the animated series is a drone of Brainiac Prime. Um and I just realized that my version of the Brainiac voice kind of sounds like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. And I'm cool with that because I really like Hugo Weaving. Um, and he goes on to say, I did not come here for your adopted world, Kal-El. I came for your heroes, for your league, not as it is, but as it can be. And uh, the rest of the league rallies, they charge Brainiac, and then they're just like, this skull ship just drops, like it opens its mouth, and it just drops down over this reason. Brainiac says, uh, Superman says, we'll fight you. And Brainiac says, and you will fail, which is, which is the precise reason I have come for you. And we, next we go to later inside, inside the skull ship, and we have Harley Quinn waking up into the face of a big green bear. And the bear is going, buh, buh, buh. And Harley wakes up, goes, buzzy, wuzzy, wuzza. And the bear wakes up and he goes, Brainiac will kill us all. And Harley says, bear will eat us all. And, of course, we can all figure out that the bear is Beast Boy, who for some reason changed into a bear at the moment of his defeat or something. Um, I, I, I like this version of Harley, um, which is weird for me to say. I have been kind of anti-Harley for a while, um, even though I am good with Wolverine from Marvel now. I was very anti-Wolverine in the 90s. Sorry, Jason. Just because he was so overexposed. Now, going back now and reading those 90s uh, Wolverine comics, I think they're a lot of fun. In the 90s, I mean, I'm, I've always been a comic book snob. I'm probably always going to be a comic book snob. I can't help it. I'm less of a comic book snob than I used to be. But when a character gets overly popular... Um, they lose interest in me, which is why I didn't like Superman as a kid, because every doofus knew who Superman was, and always, and everybody kind of sort of liked Superman. Um, but, because my daughter um, is a massive Harley fan now, I have softened my stance on Harley Quinn, and I recognize that she is fun, and she's funny, and I Still don't like the 2000s version of her when she was still running around in the animated series costume. Um, I, 
don't like the Amanda Connor and Jimmy Pomiati run, even though I realize it's very well liked, uh, just because it's way too cheesecake for my tastes. But I like I like the current stuff. I like uh, I really like the current series that's out now. I've read every issue that my daughter's collected, and I think they're they're really well done and they're really funny. And a lot of it is just about Harley trying to grow as a person and being strong and independent. And I think that's pretty rad. Um, and uh, Harley and Beast Boy are in a cell with Starfire and Zatanna, all of whom are wearing different costumes. Harley is wearing kind of an armored version of her usual suit instead of like thigh-high socks. She's wearing like thigh-high armor and um, and her like the chest part of her arm. Oops, excuse me. I didn't mean to hit my microphone. Um, it looks like a black on one side rather than the other side bustier kind of. Only it has like shoulder pauldrons and gauntlets and stuff. And one neat little touch is that there's a belt going all the way around her waist and it says ha 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 ha. And she's carrying a, a giant glowing mallet, which I think is cool. Um, uh, Zatanna's the suit that Zantana's wearing, it's made to cosmetically look like her, um, like, stage-performing costume, only not thigh-highs, which is pretty neat. And they're in this big, technolo big technological room. Um, Starfire's trying to get Beast Boy to quit cracking jokes. Um, I like this version of Beast Boy a whole lot better than the one written by Marge Wolfman, where he was pretty much constantly sexually harassing people. Um, and, uh, Harley, even though she was about to try to kill Beast Boy a second ago, she's like, uh, sorry, kid, I overreacted. Um, and they all think it's very creepy that someone changed them into these outfits while they were asleep. And Zatanna tries to use her magic to open the door, but nothing, nothing works. Harley says, you big fancy heroes are always so dang polite. My own squad would have blown a hole in the wall the second they woke up. I bet that's what they're doing now. Sometimes you got to make the room work for you. I, I don't like Harley as part of the Suicide Squad. I know that's been a big part of her thing since New 52. I despise the New 52 version of Harley. Um, I think it's... I think it was just, she was so overly sexualized in the New 52. They leaned so hard to, into early 90s image with that. It really grosses me out. But uh, she does manage to hotwire the door and partly electrocute herself in the process. Um, but they, they, they escape their cell and they go wondering at which point we go to a different room where we have Martian Manhunter, uh, Ryan Choi, the Atom, uh, Raven, Dr. Fate, and uh, Damian Wayne. And they have also all been changed into different costumes. Um, they don't all quite match, though. It's like Ryan Choi and Martian Manor, theirs have a lot of red, and Damian and Dr. Fate and Raven all have a lot of purple. Um, so they don't quite match the, well, I don't know. I guess there is some mix and match in all the groups, and I guess that does make sense, which we'll get to later. And I don't, again, like we talked about with Metal, I don't know which version of Dr. Fate this is supposed to be. I know 
that uh, Khalid Nasur had been Dr. Fate for a while, but I think he was, he and uh, Kent Nelson were kind of subbing out at, at one point, going back and forth as to who's wearing the helmet at any one point. And we see that Damien's been threatening Dr. Fate to try to like help them get out of the room. Um, and Martian Manhunter tells him to stand down. Uh, uh, Ryan Choi is examining the glass enclosures that Brainiac uses to keep um, shrunken cities in. All of them are empty, but Ryan says, wow, the shrinking technology is incredible. You could fit a whole city in one of these. Um, and Robin says, you know, look, standing around talking is not helping. We need to go, we need to go find everyone. We need to find my father. I bet that's what he's doing right now. He stomps off and then he runs chest first into Brainiac, who has Cyborg, Flash, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman with him. Batman tells Robin to stand down and Brainiac says, you are among allies. Now, all of these heroes are in different costumes as well. They are in, like I said, Superman's is kind of pink and purple. Wonder Woman's is kind of black and purple. Flash's costume looks almost entirely the same. It's red, only has purple accents instead of yellow. A cyborg is all red and black now, which is pretty neat. Batman's looks very similar to his usual costume, except it has purple highlights instead of yellow highlights. Starfire demands to know what's going on. And Superman says, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, we see that Wonder Woman is holding her lasso and Brainiac is holding the other end. And Brainiac says, I believe you all know what the Amazon's lasso is capable of. And um, Wonder Woman says, he's telling the truth, Corey. Gods help us all. And Brainiac says, I did not have time to ask. It seemed best to illustrate your weaknesses, improve my course of action. And uh, Batman uh, assures Robin that Brainiac does know what he's talking about and tells Brainiac to tell the rest of what's going on. We get this another amazing double page splash with Brainiac standing in the middle and talking. We have this montage up top of these four massive cosmic beings that kind of look like the celestials from from marvel only real metal in terms of like you know dark knight's metal kind of metal and not made out of ferrous material and uh brainiac says the oldest beings in the universe share a myth older than civilization older than language a myth of four brothers, impossibly powerful cosmic gods, each embodying one of the fundamental energies of sentient life. They were called the Omega Titans, entropy, wisdom, wonder, and mystery. Each believed their core energy to be the dominant power of intelligent life. To prove themselves right, they planted seeds of cosmic energy in world after world. At the end of the universe, the story said that they would return to the civilizations that grew over the eons, way which energy was supreme, and the winning brother would reabsorb that world. The dying universe is a garden to be eaten by its overseers. And the bottom half of the page is reactions by Harley, Martian Manhunter, Beast Boy, and Batman. Um, and Harley makes some kind of joke. Um, Martian Manhunter says we had a, a legend on Mars as well called the Four Mothers. 
Brainiac says, it's no children's story. The brothers arrived on my home planet of Kalu this time yesterday. It is about to consume my world. The source ball breaking sent the beings in motion, bringing them back from the farthest reaches of the universe. They are ready to begin the systematic destruction of all sentient worlds until nothing is left. It is possible to stop all of this. You have always rallied around an idea of justice, the symbol for which is the scale. We need to restore balance to the four energies. Thus, I have redistributed you into four teams, each embodying the energy of an Omega Titan. In these new configurations, such may be may not be likely, but it is possible. And Batman says the numbers aren't even. If the key is balanced, you must have more heroes for the teams. And then someone from off panel says, I don't know why I'd say heroes, Batman, but hey, if the shoe fits. And then we see that um, that Brainiac has also gathered Starro and Sinistro, who we Sinistro, who we saw on the cover, but also Lobo, Lex, Deathstroke, and um, Etrigan, the demon, and with um, Starro being the exception because he doesn't wear clothes, they are all wearing kind of purple and gray and black and pink variations on their own traditional costumes. Now, this lineup is really interesting because all of these characters have kind of fit the anti-hero or anti-villain role at one point, with Starro being the exception. Lobo was considered an anti-hero for a long time. Deathstroke was considered an anti-hero in the early 90s. Um, there is, sorry, there's a lot of noise going on outside right now. I'm going to pause for just a second until this, until this moves on. Okay, apparently stand right outside my window and have chit-chat time is over. But anyway, um, in the 90s, Etrigan was considered an anti-hero. Um, during the New 52 era, Sinistro was reinstated back into the Green Lantern Corps, and of course during Rebirth, Lex was kind of an anti-villain. Um, I would argue that Sinistro was an anti-villain there too. He was doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Um, so yeah, uh, really interesting choices, and I think some smart choices, uh, with Starro being the standalone, but I will we'll get more Starro as we as we go through Scott Snyder's run. Then we go from there to um, the Task Force X base where we find out that Amanda Waller has used a stolen apocalyptic technology in conjunction with a um, with a queen communication satellite that has been covertly modified to do a long distance mapping of Brainiac's cybernetic brain. And Amanda Waller, she's holding this, looks like crystal ball that's projecting this holographic image of the inside of Brainiac's head. And she's saying, I've spent years playing catch up Dark universes, alien gods, time travel. It's time the United States government had a full understanding of the threats out there. And we see that she has kidnapped a bunch of psychics and strapped them into these chairs with these things on their head that kind of look like the Brainiac discs. And they're all unconscious. And the chairs are all connected. And, uh, and she's using them to hack Brainiac's mind. And we see that she has Maxwell Lord who was wearing the outfit that he wore 
during the lead up to Infinite Crisis with the black shirt and the tactical pants and the short gloves and the boots. Good look. We have Jem, son of Saturn, Simon with a P, Dr. Destiny, who I don't really think of as a psychic, but okay. Hector Hammond, um, Mento from the Doom Patrol, Dr. Psycho, um, Double X, who I love to see because the last I remember seeing him was when he died during the new Krypton run. Um, someone who I think is supposed to be Dr. Occult based on the symbol on his belt, which looks like Dr. Occult's little disc thing that he has, except he's wearing like black leather and his face is super pale. And then a lady I don't recognize who has long brown hair and a white cape and kind of a purple and blue outfit. Uh, I know I've asked people who she is before, um, but it has kind of, uh, it has escaped me. Now, as Brainiac's ship is zooming through space, um, the Martian Manhunter is staring out of a window and uh, Lex asks him if he, if, Jean read Brainiac's mind, and Jean says, from the parts I could safely probe, but Brainiac is telling the truth, and says that Lex's mind is shielded to him. Uh, we see, we find out that Martian Manhunter has been out in the depths of space, righting wrongs and finding personal truths uh, for some time, uh, at least since the New 52. Uh, I think probably the last time he was seen in for sure, continuity was the end of the New 52 Stormwatch series. I don't know. Um, and um, you know, Lex asks Jean if he's ready to get back into being part of the team again. And Jean says, I've watched worlds die before. I fear we may not be enough to stem the tide of destruction. And even if we are, I fear what we may become by the end of it. And Lex says, well said, Jean. And if you try to read my mind again, I will burn you alive. So we see that Lex has kind of a weird familiarity with John Jones that we've not seen before. And we'll find out more about that as we get to the end of this series and into the ongoing Scott Snyder Justice League. And we see that Starfire is not having it as far as having to work with Sinestro. Sinestro doesn't want to work with anybody. Um, Damien feels like this is a mistake. Um, Damien asks, are we really going to work alongside monsters and villains? And Harley, I really like this. She says, who are you calling a monster, kid? The last time you and I worked together, you left me dead, remember? And she actually says, remember, which I, I, I really like. Um, I like Harley's portrayal in Batman the Animated Series, and this reminds me of Arlene Sorkin's dialogue. She says, so I'd be careful about throwing batarangs at glass houses. Even your daddy won't be able to save you. So pretty fun. Uh, Wonder Woman gets everybody to calm down. Um, Starro, who talks like we've never heard Starro speak before. He says, I should force you idiots to kill each other with my psychic bite and take the glory for myself. Hmm, whom to control. For some reason, we see that Ryan Choi is just hanging out on Lobo's arm in their fist bumping. And Lobo says, if the main man hooked into the guts of a bastitch, could you get all big and make him explode? And Ryan says, I mean, theoretically. Um, we see that um, 
Astaro has taken control of Deathstroke. He's going to make him attack everybody. But then Brainiac steps in and says, enough. Uh, we've arrived on Kolu. And then we see one of the Omega Titans is looming over the surface of Kolu. Again, it is. So with these guys are like a cross between Celestials, who plant seeds on planets, and Galactus, who goes around and eats them. But, um, so, so just in case, Brainiac's explanation was a little too convoluted. The four Omega Titans, they each plant a seed on a planet. And then they come back later, and whichever seed has grown strongest based on the energy that correlates with that seed, the Titan that correlates with that energy gets to eat that planet. And um, we see the collected heroes and villains looking up in shock and awe. And Brainiac starts to give a speech. He gives lots of speeches in this. He says, Kolu is the smartest race. Kolu is home to the smartest race of sentient life in the universe, my race. Therefore, it is wisdom who has come to consume my world. The energies are weak in this place. But if they are reignited, we may have a chance of saving my home world. This is why I have arranged for you in the most ideal configurations to each embody each of the four energies. Your only chance of survival is following every word I say to the letter. Any deviation, and you won't just do my world, you'll doom your own. Upon my visit to Earth, I collected you. I also made sure that the seed on Earth would attract the Omega Titans. If you fail to stop them here, there will be no hope for the people. Earth will be next. So... Brainiac's motivation for getting the people of Earth to help him is to make the Omega Titans their next stop. And again, Brainiac goes on to say, I have a plan. I can fix this. Our odds aren't great. But if you do absolutely everything I tell you to do, this plan could work. But we see that while he is saying this, Amanda Waller is activating her team of captured psychics who send out a psychic wave. Brainiac clutches his head. His veins begin to pop out. He starts to collapse. Superman catches him, but then Brainiac's head explodes in a kaplurk of of gears and gigas. And then uh, the collected heroes and villains all kind of stand around and look like, oh, crap. And Lobo says, we are so fragged. That is the first issue of um, of Justice League, No Justice. Really, really good. Really, really fun. Great art. I love this miniseries. I'm so excited that we're finally talking about it two and a half years into the podcast. But here we are. It's here. We've covered the first issue. We're going to talk about one issue of this. Uh, every every episode for the next four next three episodes, but this is just phenomenal. And the the explanation as to why the destruction of the Source Wall awakened the Mega Titans is not clear here. It will be made clear as we get into the ongoing Scott Snyder Justice League series. But we are not done for with this episode yet super pals because coming up next we have the penultimate issue of 
new Superman in the Justice League of China. Stay tuned. You guys know that I'm very conscious of my health. I don't eat meat. I don't drink alcohol. I exercise as often as I can. And the next thing on my list to kind of push my health to the next level is cutting out caffeine from my diet. And up until recently, I had been drinking four or more large cups of coffee a day, which did help me get through my day, but was making me a little jittery and was making it hard for me to sleep at night. So reducing my caffeine has been helping, but one downside is I'm a little fuzzy brained in the morning. It's hard for me to get going with my morning routine, but something that's been helping me get over that is Magic Mind. Now, Magic Mind contains a lot of natural ingredients like matcha, which helps your body process caffeine more efficiently, ashwagandha, which helps reduce stress and anxiety, and lion's mane mushroom, which is a natural cognitive booster. And one shot of Magic Mind in the morning, in addition to a lesser amount of coffee throughout my day, has really been helping me focus more and just be more awake and more cognitive throughout my morning routine. Magic Mind is now available at Sprouts Farmers Markets throughout the country. And once you try it, and if you like it, you can go to magicmind.com and you can get 50% off your subscription with the unique code TJH20. Again, that's magicmind.com slash TJH with the code TJH20. Magic Mind, give it a shot and I think you will like the results. Now back to the show. Okay, up next we have New Superman in the Justice League of China, number 23. This issue is written by Jean Luen Yang with pencils by Brett Peoples, inks by Matt Santarelli, colors by Hi-Fi, and letters by Dave Sharp. The main cover is by Philip Tan with Rain Barreto, and the variant cover is by Bernard Chang. And the main cover is of the Aquaman of North China, the North, excuse me, of North Korea, the dragon sun riding a huge wave over a city with uh, the Justice League of China flying and racing toward him, and it's a pretty cool cover. The variant is pretty fun. It is of uh, most of the Asian superheroes in the DC universe hanging out uh, doing karaoke. We have um, Kong Kenan, our Superman of China, with Bai Shi, the Batman of China, in front, or close to the front. In the very front, we have I Ching and Katana, and the four of them are singing uh, kind of back-to-back with uh, Bai Shi is, I think, a member of Batman, uh, Batman Incorporated. I can't remember his name. He has a very uh, kind of a black, red, and yellow Batman-themed costume. Um, it, sitting in the background, we have... Um, uh, we have Cassandra Kane, uh, Element Woman, Grace Choi, um, Avery Ho, uh, Daylon, the Wonder Woman of China, uh, the New 52 era um, OMAC, and uh, the female Dr. Light, 
And if you look really closely, you can see Ryan Choi perched on top of a glass next to Dr. Light. Behind Avery and Daylon is August General and Iron. And then hovering next to him is the little tiny lady with wings from uh, Super Young Team from Final Crisis. I do not know her name. Um, she kind of dresses like Sailor Moon, only with big yellow wings. And then in between Daylon and Omak is a guy just in, in a very nice bespoke suit, but not in a costume identity. I do not know who this guy is. I'm sorry. Um, I wonder if that's Bernard Chang drawing himself into into the, into the cover. I I do I don't know. Now we open in Pyongyang, North Korea, where this village is getting flooded, and it's getting flooded because the dragon sun is on a mountain above their village, and he's used his magic sword to open a magic rift in space, through which like millions of gallons of water are rushing down the mountain to this village. Now the dragon son is this guy named An Kwang Jo, who is a, a citizen of North Korea, who developed the ability to spontaneously generate water, and that water can be used to open portals to like bring forth magical sea creatures. And um Ong was uh, I'm sorry, Kwang Jo was um, arrested by officials of the North Korean government and tortured uh, during an interview to because he had he was caught in possession of a TV that was picking up on American television signals because he is a huge fan of The Simpsons. And um, during this interrogation, he lost an eye. He found out that his father was an ancient uh, Korean dragon and that he has the ability to turn into this identity called the Dragon Sun, which is this uh, dragon-themed, armored uh, physical form with long black hair and this almost reptilian face. And he has like this small shell as an eye patch and this cool kind of pink, purple, green, yellow, and black armored costume. He looks really neat. And... His father, this dragon, wants him to flood all of North Korea because it is corrupt and he wants to wipe the slate clean. He says, you barely cracked open the heavenly floodgates, dragon son. You must throw them wide open. My kingdom must be renewed. And dragon son very quietly says, yes, father, those who corrupt must die. But you are asking me to drown an entire nation of people, my people. And he says, no, that's my mother, my grandparents, my schoolmates. I can't. He pulls the sword out of the, the crack in space and his father tries to convince him to, to you know, put the sword back in. And uh, the dragon's name is King Moonmu. He says, after, after King Moonmu, after seeing what I, uh, after seeing what I've seen, I too mourn the state of your kingdom, but this is not the way. I will not do it. Uh, but then, just then, Kong Kenan flies in and says, just so you know, Quang Joe, I liked you, which is why I'm going to make sure your death is as spectacular as I can. Now, Kenan, um, in the last issue, he, even though his powers originally were kind of an artificial copy of Superman's, 
they've um, developed into their own thing where they are this representation of Yang and Yan and excuse me, Yang and Yin, where he has um, where if he's in balance, his costume is like red and black and has a Superman like symbol in the front. And we saw that in order to help his teammates, he accepted all the powers of Yang, which is represented as white which is force and action and power. His hair turned white and his costume turned all white and gold, but he became super arrogant, he became super aggressive, and he just wants to kill anyone that's in his way. Now, Avery Ho, the, the Flash of China, um, has, has kind of developed a, a semi-romantic relationship with Kenan, and she is very concerned about him. She's following him trying to get him to stop and following her are members of three members of the lantern core of china and i don't know where their powers came from i don't know if we're ever going to find that out since there's only one issue left in the series and i don't think any kind of one shot's ever been done to kind of wrap everything up um but they are following her trying to arrest kenan and force uh, Kwang Jo to go back to North Korea. She runs in and punches him in the face. He says, that's, you know, that's cra- you know, this is annoying. Please stop. And uh, she says, you know, you've made me team up with the Lantern Corps that were five minutes ago were trying to arrest me. How crazy does that make you? And the Lantern guys, their power... They have these very Green Lantern-esque costumes. They have these helmets. They have these semi-transparent, semi-transparent faceplates and this kind of glowing thing on their forehead. And that's that's where they shoot their energy from. They seem to have kind of like rocket boots that shoot lantern energy, and they can create very basic constructs from this lantern energy that comes out of your, their forehead. And they create a cube around Kenan that they say is kryptonite-infused lantern light. And they say it will weaken him. Um, and Avery is still trying to get Kenan to, to be reasonable. She says, you are about to kill me. I know it'll be hard for you because you don't have pupils right now, but I need you to look at me. You honestly think I could betray you? And that snaps Kenan out of it. He reverts to his original appearance, his original costume. And uh, he says, he goes, this is what I was afraid of when I tried to incorporate all young into me. I can't handle the power. And the Lantern Corps uh, tells Flash, you know, thank you for cooperation. We're going to take him to the crab superhuman prison, yeah, the crab shell superhuman prison. And she says, no, wait, that wasn't part of the deal. You were just supposed to help me, you know, get Kenan back to normal and then take Kwong Joe. But we go from there to the Crab Shell, which is an underwater superhuman prison where Bai Shi has been imprisoned by the Lantern Corps. And he's being broken out by his sister, who goes by the costume identity of the Alpaca. Now, I've talked about this before, but just as a brief reminder, the reason she chose the name Alpaca in her appearance, which uh, she's supposed to be his version of the Joker. She wears this purple hoodie with these long ears on it and green pants and this mask that looks like an alpaca skull. And the reason she chose the identity of the alpaca is because of Chinese internet trolling culture uses a lot of homonyms to troll people. 
and the three words that uh, describe an alpaca, which I think is grass, horse, camel, the homonym for their, they're also a homonym for basically telling someone to go copulate with themselves. So if you say, you know, if you say these words to someone on social media and they get upset about it, you can go, oh, I was just talking about an alpaca. You have such a dirty mind. Ha ha ha. And so alpacas, from what I can, what I figured out through research, is that they're a symbol of, of chaos, of, of trolling and of like pranks, I guess. And so somehow uh, she has, and again, this is, this is Bai Xi's sister. Bai Xi is the Batman of China. She has snuck, snuck into the prison. She uses an acid gun to melt the bars of a cell. She gives him his Batman equipment and the two of them break out. And they put on breathing masks. They swim to the surface. And um, he, he says, you know, can we go somewhere and talk for like five minutes without our masks? And, um, and she says, that's awfully sweet of you, but we don't need to talk. I'm all cut up with the latest bat news. I know you and your Justice League buddies told the Ministry of Self-Reliance to go screw themselves. They've cut ties with the Ministry of Self-Reliance since their encounter with um, Superman Zero, who took the identity of Emperor Superman, who then tried to take over all of China and released a superhuman, released a prison's worth of superhumans as his personal army. Um, uh, Robin Bot shows up. Robin Bot is like Baishi's robot sidekick, who extends like a rope ladder down from his stomach. Daylon, the Wonder Woman of China, is there with him. And Baishi climbs the ladder to, to go off with them, but then looks back and finds that Alpaca is gone. Now, back in North Korea, the lanterns are trying to, um, they're trying to apprehend Dragon Sun. His, his rip in space is smaller, but it's still there, and it's still pouring out water. But then a North Korean official shows up, and um, it says, you know, how did you get powers? If you have powers and you're, you are a North Korean citizen, it is your duty to be a weapon for North Korea. And Dragon Sun says, look, um, that gateway is unimaginable power. If I can't get it closed soon, all of North Korea will be flooded. Our people are going to the armies. Help go gather yourself. And, um, and the general says, like, how did you get superhuman power? And Kong just says, look, that doesn't matter. Go get help. And so the official says, he's trying to obfuscate fire. And so the helicopter shoots missiles at the portal, which makes it burst open even wider. Um, the village below starts to flood. Uh, Batman, using Robin Bot as a jetpack, flies down and grabs some people. Um, uh, Kuang Joe tries to get the lanterns to let him go so he can stop it. And one of the lanterns says, regretfully, we cannot on Kuang Joe. Our mission is to return you to the presidential palace, which makes me think that their personalities are suppressed. That they're part of some kind of hive mind, that they're not really thinking for themselves, that they're acting more or less on pre-programmed instructions. And so... Uh, Kenan tells Avery to go help. She runs off across the water um, as the 
uh, lanterns start to fly Kenan off to the prison. Uh, now, within his cube, Kenan remembers what his mentor, Yi Ching, said, that balance is neither easy nor obvious, but if you quiet yourself and listen, you will find it. So Kenan starts to meditate. He puts his hands in uh, Mokosu, or what's referred to in Japan as the Mokosu meditation position that's often used in Seiza. Um, one of the, the way the Mokosu hand position works, I don't know what it's called in Chinese. I'm sure it's called something very different. But the palms are faced together. The left fingers rest on top of the right fingers. And then the thumbs touch in kind of an arc. And it's a way to help you kind of stay focused but relaxed at the same time because if you're too focused your hands will be tensed and your thumbs will go up into a peak and if you're too relaxed your thumbs will sink down so it is a it is a kind of a, a yin and yang kind of hand meditative position I, I just thought it was fun that i know that <laughs> um so kenan begins to sink all of his energy down and then his costume turns all black and gray and his skin turns gray and he has black energy sparkling out of his eyes and he just goes huh and he just he phases out of the cube and says goodbye green people and um uh avery says holy kenan seriously how many looks can one guy have and kenan says my brain feels fuzzy and slow tell me what are we doing and his uh, word bubbles are all black with white letters now. And Avery says, we're trying to save the dragon sun from those Chinese lanterns, remember? And he's like, oh, yes. And one of the lanterns fires an energy beam at him, which phases through his body. And he goes, huh, tickles a bit. And the lanterns start to attack him. And Ken says, I wonder what happens if I poke you in the eye. And then he gets close to him, and this little crackle of energy goes out, not to their eyes, but to the thing on their forehead which makes me wonder if the thing on their forehead is supposed to be analogous to, like, for people that believe in chakras, they're supposed to be one that correlates to the center of your forehead, and that's where, like, thought energy comes from and stuff like that. So I wonder if the thing on their forehead is supposed to be, like, a third eye. And so he goes, he goes poke, that was rather fun, ha-ha poke he gets another one and that frees uh uh kuang joe from his prison he grabs his sword kenan meanwhile is just going from lantern to lantern going poke 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 which is really hilarious um and uh so kuang joe gets his sword back out and he lifts it up in the air and he says, Father, I understand now. I didn't just open the heavenly floodgates. I am the heavenly floodgates. And his dragon father says, what you say is true. Pegtu Mountain is your spiritual center where your power is most potent. But the ancient waters and all their inhabitants have always been yours to command, yours to unleash. And Kuang just says, and mine to withhold. Um, and the dragon says, no, my son, do not turn your back on your purpose. Do not disgrace your inheritance. And Kuang who is a huge Simpson fan, says in English, don't have a cow, man. And he pulls all the water into his body, and he falls down. And uh, as Kenan starts to poke another lantern in the forehead, oh, and actually, if you zoom in on the lanterns, the thing on their forehead actually looks like an eye turned sideways. So that is 
I did not notice that before. That is actually kind of creepy looking. Um, but the Lantern says, despite all that has happened, the Lantern Corps of China still has the mission to complete. We must return the dissonance. And so later, we see Daylon, Avery, and Guangzhou sitting on a sofa at their temple at the Justice League of China's headquarters watching the news uh, where reporter Lainey Lan is showing cell phone footage of the Justice League of China saving North Korea. And Guangzhou has an eye patch on because, again, he lost his eye being interrogated by officials of the North Korean government. And the uh, Lainey, uh, Lainey says, can this be the Chinese Aquaman? And she's like, why is she calling me Chinese? I'm Korean. And what's an Aquaman? My name is Dragon Sun. And, uh, and Avery gives him a hard time. It's like, hey, don't hate on the name Aquaman. What the heck's a Dragon Sun? I mean, how is that even possible? Did a dragon in your mom? And Kwangjoo hugs a pill to his chest and says, I prefer not to think of my brother in such a context. Um, and he says, I must confess, I don't know how I came to be, but I plan to make it my mission soon. We see later that, um, that uh, Bai Shi is meeting with his sister, again, Alpaca, and he's giving her a flash drive and says, uh, this drive contains everything I've gathered on our neighbor's regime. There's a family, a mother and two boys. After the flood, Wonder Woman and I stayed in their village a few days, and, well, they deserve more. I highlighted the village's location on the drive. Like I said, do what you can. And Alpaca says, so Batman is asking help from Alpaca? Best punchline ever. Ha, 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 ha. And we see that Alpaca is not really a villain, but she is kind of uh, just anarchist anti-hero who wants to help people, but she will do it in the most chaotic way possible. Um, and we see that there is actually a water construct of Kwangzhou in this, in this like disgusting prison with this ratty mat in a, in a, in a pee and poop bucket in the corner cell in North Korea. And we have Kenan's um, narration saying uh, Kwangjoo has the power not to just control water but to sculpt it sending in a North Korean prison somewhere as a water sculptor of himself um, and he says that uh, Kwangjoo can never be fully present with us a part of his mind always has to stay with his water self and um, he asks he, he tells okay so we gotta back up so I Ching and Al Yang are two halves of the same coin. And Al Yang killed I Ching, and then Al Yang died. And now they're both, they both are represented as these kind of like white and black uh, minimalistic paintings on the wall of this kind of nowhere space called Between What Is and What Is Not. And Kenan tells I Ching, when I was fully in, I became like a ghost. So I've got thinking, you're trapped in the realm of ghosts, right? Can I use yin to somehow get to you? And uh, uh, I Ching says, again, very clever. And again, such cleverness is rarely without cost. But Kenan says, so I'm not hearing a no. I'll see you in the realm of ghosts, Master I Ching. And that is going to lead into the last issue of the series called Into the Realm of Ghosts.
I have never had a guest on my show, not even my friends, um, just because my recording schedule doesn't allow it. Um, I'm hoping once I get moved and once I'm settled and I have a dedicated recording space, I will be able to start having guests on the show. I definitely plan to have guests on the show for episode 100. That's a given. I have... I am jealous of other shows that have have interviewed creators on their shows. I almost never would... I would never know what to say to a creator whose work I like other than, man, I like your stuff. It's so good. It would be like the the Chris Farley uh, bits where he pretended to interview like a famous actor. Like, hey, remember when you, you did that thing in that movie? That was so cool. But I really, really want to interview Gene Luen Yang after I finish this series, uh, which will be coming up pretty soon. I don't know that I can. I don't know that I will. I may chicken out. But it is my goal to ask Gene Luen Yang to come on the show and to ask him, like, if there are unanswered questions about Dragon Sun, about the Lantern Corps of China, about I Ching, about All Yang. So ask him, it's like, okay, you know, can, can you tell me what you might have done had you gotten a chance? And I also want to talk to him about, um, about um, Superman's Bash of the Clan. And I just want to ask him some stuff about his Shang-Chi run, because I think that's really cool too. And there are things about the Shang-Chi run that are parallels to things that go on here in New Superman. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but it is something I would definitely, definitely like to do. Okay, but that is it for the comic books for this episode. I enjoyed them both a lot, but we're not quite done yet because I'll be right back to wrap everything up. Stand by. And that does it for episode 92 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. If you like this episode, if you're enjoying this show in general, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star review wherever get your wherever you get your podcasts. Not where I get my podcasts. I know where I get my podcasts. But wherever you get yours, if you can leave me a five-star review, that would be great. It would help more people find the show and give me more people to talk to, talk at. Talk at always sounds bad. That's what my dad says. I don't like that. But then again, I'm pretty good at talking at people. (laughs) Um, I would also think it would be great if you could follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Blue Sky, and on Instagram by searching for Truth, Justice, and Hope on those platforms. Uh, Make sure you include the and hope in there because there are other podcasts that contain the words truth and justice in them, but they are not all about Superman. And that, I am assuming, is what you are here for. Um, again, like I've been saying, I will probably not have an opportunity to put any new content up on the Patreon, but I am going to leave it up to the end of February for those of you that are already subscribers that want to get caught up on the show if you're behind, or for those of you that have been thinking about maybe signing up but didn't want to make a long-term commitment, this would give you a month to pay, you know, pay one month's worth of membership and binge everything. 
Um, if I do, if it turns out I'll have the opportunity to put up more content before the end of February, I will try to work that on my schedule, but I don't foresee it just because I know what my schedule is going to be like going forward. Speaking of going forward, upcoming in the near future, we are going to continue going through Justice League No Justice, which will be followed by the uh, ongoing Justice League series. Uh, we're going to have the uh, eponymous Superman special from 2018, which is the bridge between uh, the Rebirth era eponymous Superman title and the Bendis era. We're going to have, uh, we're going to start talking about Man of Steel, which is Bendis' six-issue weekly miniseries that will be the prelude to his run. And we are also going to continue talking about Doomsday Clock, or at least doing an overview of it in preparation of Superman jumping into the miniseries, or maxi-series, I guess, with issue seven, where we talk about Doomsday Clock number five coming up soon. Um, I don't want to, I really don't want to commit to what specifically I'm going to be doing next episode, because something always seems to change. So I just want to give you guys an idea of what is coming up in the near future on the show in general. I think that'll be a much better plan for me. Um, and the reason I wanted to get this episode out the same day as episode 91 is that it looks like uh, we are closing on our house the day after tomorrow. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the 17th of January, 2024. We're supposed to close on the 19th. That Something could come along that could screw that up. But as of right now, it looks like we're closing in two days. Uh, we'll be heading out with our furniture very shortly after that. And that's going to be it for me for a couple weeks at least. So I, while I had this, this little bit of extra time before all that chaos kicks off, I wanted to give you guys one more episode to you know, hopefully tide you over until I can talk to you again. But... Um, let's see, it is 17th now, so it's probably going to be the beginning of February before I get a chance to put out another episode. Um, I will be sad that I will not be able to talk to you guys between now and then, but I'm looking forward to it. And until then, remember, as always, to fight fear with every turn, with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.